Adil Brother Asad from Arabic Unlocked. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today, Akhi? Alhamdulillah, very good. Yourself? Alhamdulillah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, I know that you um, did Umrah fairly recently, right? Or maybe it wasn't very recently now. Maybe it was a long time ago. <laughs> I have it in my head that um, it feels recent anyway. Yeah, it was. So recently I did go with my mother just, just in December. So a couple of weeks ago, Alhamdulillah. Right, okay, Alhamdulillah. I remember before I moved out here to Somalia, I remember you mentioning you were going to make Umrah. But that might have been a previous time because time, subhanAllah, goes so quickly, doesn't it? That might have been ages ago by now. Yeah, that was last March. I was actually there last March as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is alhamdulillah one of the blessings of this new tourist visa that they've launched Right, is that uh, it's a lot easier to go uh, mm. to Saudi now in general and to make Umrah okay. um, so I've, I had the visa uh, from March and then come December uh, the visa was still valid So and my mom was off on school holidays so I just thought I'll take her with me alhamdulillah oh so, you, so it's like a multi-entry visa multi-entry so you're allowed to be in the country as far as I know for three months in total with as many Entries and exits as as you want. Um, throughout a, a what time period? Like you can spend throughout three... a twelve month period. Oh, After I see. I see. You need to review renew the visa. Right. Subhanallah. I had no idea. I didn't know it was that good. That's so good. Mashallah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's tempting. Like even now, I'm thinking I've still got three months left on the visa. Mm. It's tempting to just jump on a flight and go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we really want to do Umrah this year, inshallah. Um, with with moving to Somalia, there's big costs with like the flights out here. Flights here are really expensive from the UK and anywhere else. But um, we'll see how it goes. We'd really like to because I obviously I, I studied Arabic in Palestine um, as part of my degree. I was in Palestine for like for for a year, so I've had like Israeli stamps all over my passport, and I haven't been able to go to a lot of places. That's been a that's been a mushkila for me. But um, but inshallah, khair, that's um that's some good information, even for Arabic students. It's one a lot of our audience about the, the the tourist visa. I've heard of people being denied it though. Like, are there quite strict conditions for it? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I've also heard it's rare cases. So basically, you just apply online, um, and I don't know what the exact process is on the back end, but it comes back very quickly. So I don't know if they have an algorithm in place or something. Um, they might have a quarter in terms of how many they issue in a certain month or something. But uh, as far as I know, it's quite a high approval rating uh, but it might again depend on where you're applying applying from and what your nationality is and that kind of thing what does it cost the in real i can't remember i think it was i don't want to say the wrong number i think it was sure. 290 or something but it sure, came sure. to roughly 100 dollars, 100 pounds that kind of region that's good isn't it that's good so what what is the benefit of of a because of a, there are specific umrah visas aren't there there are um the Umrah visa you'd normally get if you're going with a with a group. Um, okay. It'd require you to get an Umrah visa. There were, to be honest, the, in the past, so with the Umrah visa, it was a lot more limited. You could only go Makkah, Medina uh, on that visa. It was a lot shorter in terms of time. Um, now, I think the only difference is uh, very recently they've changed the rules. So you could bring Zamzam water back with the tourist visa. Now, I think they're only allowing it with the, with the Umrah visa. Um, that's the only difference I know of. That makes sense. Uh, okay, because you think know. that there, you think that there would be some sort of difference that, you, that they need to make it so that there's some sort of there's some sort of benefit to an Umrah visa. That's um yeah. that's good to know. So I think um so the way that I first heard about you and I think most of my audience will know about you as well is from from Facebook ads and Instagram ads. I think you 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 yeah. you, do, you do that stuff really well, mashallah. And like I I remember I'm not sure if it's still ongoing, but um but crowdfunding campaigns that you have as well for this app that you have. I have it on my phone actually. I have Arabic unlocked on my phone. So um so I, so I just want to know a little bit about what is uh, Arabic Unlocked. 
Um, how long has it been running for? And what what is it for? It's a good question. It's a it's a broad question. Um, I'll try and answer it in the most concise way. But basically, so we Arabic and law kind of came off the back of uh, me first learning Arabic and struggling in terms of my studies to find good resources in the English language that were kind of up to date and kind of ticked all the boxes that I was looking for. Uh, and then when I transitioned into teaching, having the same struggles from a teaching standpoint in terms of just lack of resources to give to students and to use in my teaching. Um, so yes, Hala, me and my co-founder Ahmed, um, we were having conversations. Um, we actually launched, so just to backtrack slightly, uh, we actually launched a project called Quran Stories with Hudhud, which was an app teaching kids the stories of the Quran. Um, we launched this in 2018, I believe. Um, and the idea was to make this app that had all these different stories for kids, all the Quranic stories, and then to expand it further. Uh, we launched it with the story of Yusuf, uh, and I think it had something like nine chapters. Um, we then added the story of Adam, alayhi salam. We did do a crowdfunding campaign for that. And alhamdulillah, we were able to get that far. But we realized from a business standpoint or from a monetization standpoint that it was going to cost significantly more than we initially thought. Okay. So we were like, okay, we have two choices here. Either we go and raise a substantial amount of investment uh, to try and fund this. We either go down a charity route and we try and raise, you know, substantial amount of donations uh, to fund it, which is probably more difficult. Uh, or we try and figure out a way to make this commercially viable that we can actually self-fund this from the project itself. Um, so the conclusion we kind of came to was, okay, it's going to be very difficult to self-fund it uh, as a kid's project because just to kind of get it off the ground needed X amount of money to get it to a certain level um, in terms of stories and content. And, you know, when it comes to a kid's product, you've got um, animation, voiceover, and then the tech side of things. And uh, there was a lot more cost than we envisioned. So what we did was we said, okay, what can we do? Um, and that's when I had this conversation with Ahmed. I was like, you know what? For years, I've been struggling with teaching Arabic and resources. And it'd be really nice if we could take a lot of the things we did well on the kids project and kind of transform it into an adults-based project. Um, that's probably where the birth of Arabic Unlocked was. Um, it started, like I said, a lot earlier with them pains and struggles that I had in my mind. But then what we went on to do was we launched a crowdfunding campaign that you mentioned. Um, alhamdulillah, we had a good response so then we started building the adults app uh we, we launched that uh just before covid and the whole lockdown hit so probably early 2019 and alhamdulillah we saw sorry you're gonna you're gonna ask questions no i was gonna interject a little bit i wanted to know a little bit more about arabic with hoodhood like what is is the is the theme of it that there is a hoodhood telling stories or something like that is yeah that the... grand story with hoodhood there wasn't oh, arabic fair with enough. Hoodhood. sorry um, sorry so yeah, yeah there's yeah. a character called hoodhood he's this mm -hmm. he's this bird and he's kind of narrating these stories uh, to the kids uh, of the prophets. The app's still available on the App Store and Play Store. You can download it. It's free to download. Um, That's a nice concept. That's a really nice concept because there's actually, I've done an episode of um, of a different podcast actually on this, but there's actually only, there's only three of, of the makhluqats that actually speak in the Quran, right? So like in terms of the living things, right? There's the Nemle, there's the Hudhud, and yep. obviously humans as well, right? That's it's an interesting concept that you have... Um, you know, like like other animals, like like the bumblebee is like inspired, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the term awha is used towards the nahal and things yes. like that. But like in terms of where we actually have like like spoken language coming from the mouth of a, of an animal, I think the only two is the hudhud and the nemla, I think, and both of them within very close proximity to each other. Unless you can think of another example, but um, 
They're, they're it, within, might, it, might, it might just be that. Yeah, within like two pages of each other, maybe. <laughs> Even you, you have both of them speaking within a very close proximity to each other in Nopuran as well. But um, mm. that, that's an interesting concept. I like that. So you, so you would say that the the difference between um, Quran stories with hudhud and the, and that and Arabic unlocked is that one is for children and one is for adults. So you'd say that is the main difference between the two. Yeah. The the only just the the only other example that comes to mind is the jinn. Obviously, the, the speakers. Oh, well. sure, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, sorry, but yeah, back to the question. Uh, the difference also, between you would say the difference between um, Quran stories with hudhud <laughs> and Arabic unlocked. The Arabic unlocked is for adults. Primarily, I mean, Quran story of the Hudud was never intended, at least what we launched to teach Arabic. It was more about Quran stories and terbiyah, oh, um, got that it. kind of thing. Sure. Which is why the brand name was Universal Terbiyah. Um, but, inshallah, in the future, the, so the we'll probably come to this, but in terms of future plans for Arabic Unlocked is to, inshallah, go back into the kids' realm and start creating resources for kids to learn Arabic, as well as also to touch on the terbiyah side of things. Uh, but mm. we'll probably interlink them slightly more so. We'll probably come back to Quran stories, but we'll we'll interplay that with like learning Quran and Arabic and and vocab and that kind of thing. Sure. So at the moment, like with the with, with the experience of, of downloading Arabic Unlocked, what is what what is it the students get from Arabic Unlocked? What's the what's the interaction like, and what are its kind of what what does it help students do? So in terms of as a resource, the the app itself, the Arabic Unlocked app, um, it's providing a lot of the same functionalities that people find in popular language learning apps like. Duolingo and these these other ones. However, the problem with all of them is they've been built for primarily English learning um, or other kind of European Latin based languages. Uh, and when where they do have an Arabic curriculum is just a translated version of the English curriculum. Uh, and a lot of the stuff doesn't translate well, especially when it comes to cultural based things. So, so for example, in the Arabic Duolingo curriculum, you'll learn things like I'm going to the club this is my girlfriend in Arabic mm -hmm. and that puts people who are learning Arabic to learn to understand the Quran immediately just puts them off mm. um, on top of that the curriculum isn't optimized for their uh, for their goal of learning Arabic to understand the Quran so there's not any focus on Quranic vocab on trying to decipher ayat and stuff like that um, so that's what we offer in the Arabic Unlocked app we offer like I said a lot of the same gamification and functionality and where where possible we've tweaked it and tailored it for the Arabic language um, certain things just don't translate over from the English and then on the curriculum side like I've said we'll build it from the ground up to give people the common used words in the Quran common phrases common sentences uh, teach them the Arabic letters and, and all that kind of stuff and does it operate like a like a linear curriculum the same way like for example like I mean with Duolingo it seems like it seems like the, the Duolingo experience is is quite a lot different in some ways to its other languages but not in a way that serves Arabic students like I'd agree I'd agree with that entirely that it's like um, it seems like a lot of time is spent in the beginning of that course just on the script. Like my kids use it, like my my children use it for learning the Arabic alphabet and the Arabic scripts and stuff. It seems like a long a long time is spent on that. But um, and, and also and then, as far as I know, I mean I've not looked at it recently, but last time I checked, they were teaching the script through transliteration anyway, which is far from ideal. Mm, um, sure, I don't sure. know if they switched to Arabic. Script no, now, no, but... now they have Arabic script as like a big chunk at the beginning, but it's almost as if it's gone from one extreme to the other. It's like there was none of it, and now there's there's loads of it in the beginning before yeah. before you get into like any meat of it. And as you say, like it's it's written for very kind of to be like a 
that the same way as like the GCSE Arabic is like a GCSE French equivalent, but that's not necessarily what the vast majority of Arabic language students actually want from their Arabic. Then people don't use Arabic for the same thing that they use Spanish for, or that they aspire to use French for. So yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So so what about like the the, the structure of Arabic uh, Arabic unlocked? Like is is it a very linear curriculum, or um yeah, how does the student incorporate it into their lives? So the the live curriculum, uh, so smiley just just to go a bit more into details on how the the history of the app has been, the app was launched like I said twenty nineteen, uh, and smiley the the response was much better than we thought, so we had to accelerate a lot of things. So we we threw together a curriculum quite quickly. Um, so we have the online, we have the Arabic Unlocked Academy as well. We have an online program that was a lot more prepared. That was ready. That was live. The app, obviously it's a very different, different ball game. Um, so we had to, we tweaked a lot of the stuff. We tried to recycle a lot of the stuff. We tried to follow some of the same logic and structure, um, in aspects it's linear in aspects it's not. Um, but that was just meant to be like a version one that was kind of put out there and, and it was, and alhamdulillah, a lot of people benefited from it. There were two issues with it though. One is, like I said, it wasn't built from the ground up. It probably wasn't given enough time to kind of be an academically robust, thought through, tailor-made curriculum for an app. Uh, and number two, it was kind of deficient on content. So there was a lot more stuff we had planned, but on the tech side of things, um, how the app was built was very limiting in terms of what we could actually add in terms of content. So every question had to be manually typed in, uh, all the question, all the different options for the answers and, and all the sound files and everything. Mm. Uh, so it took a, a imagine we at the moment we've probably got something like five thousand questions in the app maybe ten thousand um we 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 in parallel we were redeveloping the curriculum alhamdulillah we had some uh, instructors so dr nadia who she's the professor responsible for introducing a-level arabic in the uk um she worked with the uh, i think it was edexcel and these are the examination boards um she alhamdulillah she oversaw it and we had a bunch of we had another rahimallah uh, Dr. Sohaila um, from Kuwait, she was overseeing the curriculum as well. SubhanAllah. Unfortunately, she passed she passed away during COVID from Allah COVID itself. Um, she was amazing, mashallah. Um, so yeah, we alhamdulillah, we we redeveloped this curriculum, we all the way from the ground up, but to import 50,000 questions would have taken so much longer. Um, so we had to take the tech side back to the drawing board, develop a, a input system for the questions. Because of COVID, COVID for us was good and bad in the sense that launching and the response to it was very good. But on the on the people side, like I said, we had a team member pass away. And then on the on the app side, we had multiple issues with the team, people falling ill, people's family members falling ill. So that knocked back development massively. Mm. Um, so long story short is that we've built a new curriculum, but that still hasn't been introduced into the app just yet because we're still okay. working on the tech side of things. Okay. You you made reference to a um like a tour online course then like there's something that Arabic Unlocked does that's separate to the app is that right? Yeah, so we have so Arabic Unlocked Arabic Unlocked as a as an organization basically our our mission and our vision is to kind of reintroduce the Arabic language to the world. Um, there was a time where for the for the Muslims Arabic was essentially the universal language of the Ummah, um, and we 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 dream of a day where that kind of comes back where. The language of the Muslims, the universal uniting language, can, language can be Arabic once again, uh, where an, a Pakistani and a, and a British person and an, an Arab and a Somalian can all speak in Arabic together. Um, in terms of how we're actually going to tackle that, we know that the actual kind of biggest results are going to come from focusing on the next generation, which is children. 
which is inshallah, which is why our long-term vision is to double down and focus on that. In the meantime, we're focusing on the parents, on the adults. Uh, we're trying to, there's a lot of people who, there has been a slight revival in the past maybe five, 10 years in terms of desire and interest in Arabic people re-understanding re, re its importance, I suppose. Uh, thanks to people like Noman Ali Khan and, and other such people who have kind of reintroduced the importance of Arabic. Uh, so we want to kind of build upon that and build resources for people to be able to learn Arabic. So the app is one resource. We also have the Arabic Unlocked Academy, uh, which is another resource, which is for people who are slightly more invested in the Arabic uh, learning journey. They want to study in a slightly more academic manner. They have more time to commit uh, to actually studying, whereas the app is more kind of learn on the go. Uh, we also have the academy which is there for people who are like ready to kind of take that next step but there's there's no doubt is there that um that norman ali khan has had a massive impact on the world of arabic teachers like uh, i think our generation of arabic teachers like i i know i was I, like he influenced the way that i teach and the way that i kind of have a confidence even as a non-arab to deliver arabic texts and stuff there's no doubt that he's had a massive impact on like on 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 the definitely on the way that I teach and I present and stuff, but also in terms of a um a, a making of Arabic accessible to the English speaking world and in like the West, um there there's no doubt that him and Bay you know have had a had a big impact on that, which is um which is pretty cool for sure. So can we like so if like so we've kind of got we've got we've got Arabic unlocked at this point. I'd I'd like to kind of. I'd like to kind of build backwards for, for, from like who who Esed is and how we ended up at this place now. So um, so kind of at what age do you think you were when you first started approaching Arabic as a as as a language to be learned? I don't just mean like learning Alif Berter in Madrasa or whatever. Like how old were you when you you thought that you approached Arabic as a language to learn? Yeah. So as far as I can remember, um, so in terms of obviously I was born into a muslim family have a pakistani origin and like many people will know we'll go through the typical madrasa system in the uk so you'll go you'll learn your lift batters and unfortunately my mother will tell you i was um very bad when it came to that stuff behavior wise so i i got kicked out of probably every madrasa class i went to um the teacher would take me for a month and say i can't have this kid send him to the next class i did i probably did a tour of all the classes in my local masjid before they said just send him somewhere else Went to another madrasa, they kicked me out. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't very good uh, at a young age. It, how how old? Like, all the way up until um, probably 13, 14. Okay, so what changed? Um, nothing changed at that point. Um, <laughs> at that point, I think, uh, after I got kicked out of madrasa at 14, I think my mom just, my mom and dad kind of just gave up, like, how many more madrasas are we going to send him to? Uh, just forget about it. By that stage, I could read Quran. I'd, um, especially in kind of Pakistani culture, there's this thing about have you finished the Quran? Have you read the Quran from start to finish in Arabic? That's kind of a a checkbox. Um, as long as you've done that, you've kind of, in in their eyes, you've kind of fulfilled the objective of going to Madrasa in the first place. Right. Um, unless you're going to go on and do Hiv, then that starts another checkbox. But um, I'd done that. So it was kind of like, okay, He's not behaving himself. It's kind of a waste of our time and effort. Let's just... And by the way, I wasn't like extremely badly behaved. I was just... I had two issues with me. One is I've always been quite... Like I'm six foot three. So I've always been quite big for my age. So I grew quite early. So they always put me in a class with older kids. So I'm a five-year-old in a class with nine-year-olds. Obviously, I'm going to misbehave, but I look like them. 
Right. Um, and that continued. So I just, yeah, I just kept being a kid, which I was in a class of all the kids. And the teachers were just like, this guy's just misbehaving. Um, but in terms of to answer your question, I, re I remember in year eight uh, in high school. So I would have been 2008. Eight plus four. I would have been about twelve or thirteen. Um, my family went for Umrah back then as well, uh, and that was the first time I'd been for Umrah. And I remember going there, hearing people talk Arabic, and just thinking, "Oh, wait a minute, Arabic is actually a language." That's when my eyes started to open slightly. That, oh, Arabic's a language. It's not just this thing that we read, and there's actually a practical use to it. Um, and. It was during, we went for Umrah during, just before Ramadan. So I think we prayed about three Taraweeh there maybe. And during maybe, it's probably the second juz, so probably the second night, uh, second night of Ramadan. I remember being stood in Mecca and the Imam was reciting from Surah Al-Baqarah and he said, And up until that point, like every Taraweeh, it was just me there praying, daydreaming, thinking it's too hot, how long is it going to take? And when he read that ayah, I understood the words Maqam Ibrahim because I was it was literally opposite me. Um, so I had a taste of, wait a second, I just understood something from the Quran. It never happened before, probably, that I remember till that point. So that feeling, that is very difficult to describe. I'm kind of getting shivers down my mm. spine just talking about it. But at that point, I think I said to myself, SubhanAllah, if I understood two words and I feel like this, imagine if I understood everything he's saying, and then I think it was the same night the guy next to me probably in Arab but he, or, or maybe not but he understood Arabic he started he, at some point he started crying so that added to the kind of why is this guy crying like what's made him cry that the imam said or recited and I, I want to do that <laughs> but I don't want to fake it I want to have the same experience he's having but I think that was when the first I first made that decision that okay I, I want to learn Arabic at some point that's beautiful how it can kind of change in a moment like that and also as like um as a parent as well I think about that like in in my children my eldest Yusuf he's he's only six right and I think about in our children like because sometimes it's it's easy these days to sort of label your children or despair if you see them not enthusiastic about things you'd like them to be or things like that but sometimes it's it's important to vary their environments isn't it like for you you're doing like a tour of all the masajid in your area basically <laughs> of, of all the madaris in your area and they're all kicking you out and stuff and as a parent like I don't know, some parents might have even thought, let's not even bring him to Umrah if he's like this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Some yeah, parents, yeah. maybe. Do you know what I mean? But for, for you, it needed a different environment, you know, and that's um that's beautiful. And I I, I didn't experience something like that. Like I, I remember being in being in a masjid in Palestine when I was I was studying there on my year abroad. And um there was one hour in particular. I remember I was sitting in the masjid waiting for Maghrib to come in. And I was thinking, I was, I was looking around this masjid in Palestine, thinking like, if I hadn't have become a Muslim, like, where would I be now? Like, what the, what what things would I be looking at right now? Where would I be sitting and stuff like that? And um, and then in the Salah, the Imam the Imam recited the um an ayah from Surah Al Hadid, I think. Or, um, um, I thought, Subhanallah, like within that ayah, there's like. There's there's beauty of having learned Arabic and there's beauty of, of, of Allah having brought some people from a dhulumati la nur, from the darkness into light. And, um, you know, sometimes in the, in the salah, these are the fruits of learning the Arabic language, aren't they? Like to, to be able to to be able to uh, appreciate things, these things from the mouth of the imam, you know, in the, in, in the speech of Allah, the speech which was not created. 
it's um that's such a profound thing to to finally be able to enjoy those rewards even but even when you're saying you're saying about knowing a few words right like you're saying being able to taste get your first taste of that and being able to appreciate the speech of allah just from a few words aren't you like that that was your situation yeah, when you're 13 it was that 14. feeling of actually probably the first time i actually woke up in the prayer like up until then the prayer was just a very robotic thing that you do and movements and i didn't understand a single meaning of a single word in the prayer if you'd have asked me at that point what does allah akbar mean i'd have said what what are you talking about <laughs> like it has a meaning um it just never crossed my mind and, mm -hmm. and we'd never been taught in that way um i don't blame any of the teachers that i had but it was kind of they didn't know themselves so you know mm -hmm. it was somebody who doesn't have something can't give it yeah um, but yeah, just that, just that waking up in the salah and saying, "Oh, you know what? That there's more to this. Like mm. this is how it's meant to be." Um, it kind of just opened my eyes to to how it's there's another world out there to, to the prayer and to the Quran. And... So you're you're sort of yeah, as you say, like in your early teens, 13, 14 years old. So how how long how long do you spend um in in Mecca at that point? No, so it was um it was just an Umrah. So I think sure. the whole trip was about a week, two sure. weeks, ten days, something like that. Masha'Allah, subhanAllah. So so what was the transition like then then? So what did it look like when you came back? Did we have like a completely, completely new essay when you got back? Or was it like, did it take much? What was the timeline like from there until when you first started to actually care about what, what Arabic, what Arabic stuff meant? Yeah, it'd be nice to say that was if that's what happened, but that's not what happened. So <laughs> um, I, I do remember this though, and I spoke to my mom about this recently. I, I remember when we when we left or when we were leaving, I said to my mom, I go, I told her at the time, oh, I want I want to learn Arabic. And when we go back, I want to, you know, I know I've been kicked out of Madrasa and stuff. I don't want to go back to Madrasa. I want to join an Arabic class. Um, and she was very happy to hear that. And I said to her, you know what, inshallah, the next time I come back here to, to Mecca, inshallah, I'm going to speak Arabic. That's what I said to her. And so we came back and this is 2008, maybe. 2000, yeah, 2008. Uh, and subhanAllah at the time, like now, alhamdulillah, there's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of stuff locally. At that time, it was actually near impossible to find an Arabic class. Um, so we looked, I looked, my mom looked. It's not like the internet was exactly a thing. It was just really like iPhone was launched in 2007. So internet was still a new thing. Uh, so yeah, it was, we didn't really find an Arabic class and I, I kind of just gave up on it after a while. Um, so it kind of just lay dormant um from 2008 up until college so college is 2013 so five years later um i got to college and um, in the so i went to a catholic college uh and we had a we had a prayer room where we pray Zohar and asr and, and maghrib um it was actually in the trinity building of the prayer room so we <laughs> used to call it trinity prayer room which is right yeah ajib yeah um so we went to the Trinity prayer room and in there, alhamdulillah, in college, so I, my co-founder Ahmed uh, was studied with me in college and we had an, another two, three friends, all of who were Arab. So there was Ibrahim who, who was Saudi and we had uh, uh, Ilyas who was Moroccan. So these guys would always be talking in Arabic and I just be sat there kind of left out. And that's when it kind of re-sparked the desire that, wait a minute, man, I, I wanted to learn Arabic so I could understand these kind of conversations um and obviously five years have passed internet's much more of a thing now and so i went back home and started searching again okay arabic classes and stuff like that and i did find one um so that's when i took my first arabic class which was run by the leeds university uh in in 2013 when i'm about 
18 maybe 17 mm, interesting because i like i like when i first started learning arabic it was actually before i started learning arabic kind of here and there actually before my islam and um and I, i'm not from a city though like I, I grew up in cornwall and like maybe our nearest tesco was like half an hour drive away or something like that like we didn't so my my kind of immediate reaction wasn't to find a course because i was like there's not gonna be well in cornwall of all places like leeds is one yeah. thing do you know what i mean but i don't know if you've ever been to cornwall but like finding someone who would teach arabic is a little bit different now but back then sort of 10 years ago it was completely different so like i got introduced to the world of online arabic resources like straight away like um that resource i think they're still about actually arabic pod 101 and arabicpod.net um things like that i used to do a paper round to earn some money when i was like you know in my like, early mid-teens and stuff. And I used to listen to Arabic Pod 101 as I was walking around the village and stuff. And then as I became more interested in Islam, I had like, you know, sword of the Quran. I had like one of those little iPod, um, not an iPod shuffle. I had one of the ones that was like bright colors and stuff. I had one of those mm-hmm. little, little, little iPods. Yeah, iPod mini or something. Or yeah, I had one of those. <laughs> and it, but it was just, it was full of like Arabic Pod 101 stuff that I downloaded from my computer. There was, um, yeah, there were there were some resources, some like some like songs for learning the Arabic alphabet on YouTube that are probably still knocking about somewhere. Yeah, so like I I had a real um for, from really early like I took real inspiration from some of those things. Like I remember being really inspired by by the guys who run Arabic Pod because like when I, I'd see the, some of the videos on YouTube and they'd be you know not dissimilar to my setup now like they'd have like sound panels and stuff around them and a microphone and I thought that's so cool that they're like making these resources out for the world that people like me walking around my village in Cornwall, um, you know, <laughs> listening to their episodes. So so I, I had the privilege of kind of taking inspiration from resources like that, that I think have helped me, you know, in, in, in my career, I think. But anyway, so like, okay, so you you get to like enroll in a course with a teacher in uh, at Leeds University, right? A shout out to Leeds, by the way. Leeds is a nice place. I like the North, generally. I think the North of England's massively underrated. Unfortunately, people come to the UK and they spend all their time in London, but the the North's all right, you know. Have you have you always? Have the you nicest al- thing about the North is probably similar to Cornwall. There's a we're we're like right in the middle of three national parks. So we have the Yorkshire Dales, the Lake, the Peak District, and the Lake District, mm-hmm. which is for me the best part of the UK. Beautiful, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, to a more like that's more natural beauty in terms of um, landscape than Cornwall, but Cornwall's obviously by the sea, so Cornwall yeah. has that other type of natural beauty, you know. But but even like even with that kind of, you end up fostering more of like a. Um, people are just kind of friendlier. People tend to just have more time and stuff like that. Like that—that that is something similar that Cornwall and some places in the north probably, probably have. Certainly, because I, I did some of my teacher training in Leeds. Um, oh. Yeah, in, in the summer holiday before I started my my first teaching job, because I I was a primary school teacher before I, um, before I came into the internet to do this Arabic oh, okay. stuff. I, I started my career as a primary school teacher, and um, it, yeah, and I did. So I had to do some of my teacher training in Leeds and. I don't know, there's something, something, I didn't realize this was similar about you and I, that we kind of started out with some of our stuff, trying to create resources for children initially. Like I, I sort of, um, I did that because I'd been a primary school teacher and I, I thought that was the obvious thing to do just to carry on with children. But yeah. I had a, I had a real challenge and I, I think I like it can definitely be done well. Like you could definitely create good resources and experiences for learning online for children, but it's, it's very resource heavy, you know, to do that. Like, and I, but I think we really need to do it. I think from a Muslim perspective, 
um, as much as anything. We we really, really need to compete because someone out there is going to compete for the attention of your children. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think like one, maybe one of the most noble things that we can put our money towards actually is, is halal, good quality, positive content. And like, I think maybe one of the big reasons for the success of the English language, even until now, in large part is because of the prolific content for children that, that exists in the English language, actually. I recently had um, a brother who you might have seen on Instagram and stuff called Simon. He's actually Swedish originally, um, but he's studying Arabic in Dubai now. And like, like you probably know, people from like Sweden, Finland, Holland, Netherlands, Netherlands um, Finland, Norway, their English is amazing loads of them right and in large better than ours to be honest often better than ours right last time i was in the uk i was listening there was a radio show on in the background of my dad's house and um and i thought it was like two people who were english speaking it turns out one of them was a belgian football player right someone in the uk vincent company right i don't know if he even plays anymore it's probably old now but well old for a footballer anyway i, I thought man, now, I right okay yeah yeah well it was on the radio and i thought man he sounds like a londoner or it sounds like someone from the uk like he yeah. So, so anyway, I was, I'm, the point I'm making is that that sort of thing can be achieved through good quality, prolific content created in a certain language. And it would be interesting to see if it was well resourced enough. And, and frankly, if the Muslims cared enough about it, which is something we should want to inspire in our ummah, really, to to actually be behind it like that. Because as Simon was saying to me, like he he never really studied English, like he never really put a lot of effort into sitting down, learning English grammar and stuff like he just picked it up growing up because like because in yeah. sweden the english language is just accessible there's there's english language content on the tv like when they buy playstations it'll be set up in arab in, in, in english or whatever like if we could kind of foster that to some kind of degree for our children's content it would be yeah. it'd be very very powerful yeah, alhamdulillah there's some this alhamdulillah there's some progress in this area uh, already so we've got initiatives like uh, omar and hannah you mm. know durio uh, shout out to sinan mashallah they do amazing <laughs> work over there um and inshallah we like i said we're working on quite a big project when it comes to kids um mm -hmm. as well so at some point this year inshallah that that will be announced as well good inshallah mel i bless you guys who really have kind of the the energy and the skills to to build a company capable of that because it really requires lots of people with their own specialisms to kind of come together yeah. to build things like that very well like I, I i just know it about myself i don't really have the temperament to want to um and also my lifestyle hasn't really allowed it. Like I've wanted to move here to Somalia and stuff like that. Like I haven't really had the stability to be able to do anything like it, but um, you know, so it's, so it hasn't really been for me in my career and I'm, I'm really happy with where I am now. Like I have an online community of Arabic students and stuff and generally just the nature of my Arabic program, we tend to attract students who are sort of a like, like-minded, like the, the fact that it's called Arabic in 60 steps most people don't want to do 60 steps. It's not very it's catchy. Number, it's, yeah. it's quite a big number for steps, right? So like, so most people who come to the program, they're people who have like a lifelong ambition regarding the Arabic language. Like they're not really people coming, looking to finish Arabic. You know, they're, they're not expecting like one, a few court, a few classes to solve their problem. They're, they're people who really yeah. de deeply love Arabic. So, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm happy with where it's gone, but I can, I can absolutely appreciate the importance of it and the difficulty of it, of creating resources like that for... For children for sure so like so to bring it back to your story a little bit so so you kind of get an opportunity to sit in a classroom w with an arabic teacher in kind of a more formal setting what, what was the nature of that course in leeds was it like a, a one year or two year thing what, what was it like it was an evening class um it was two hours a week i think um and it was uh i there were three three six month modules so i completed the whole thing over the 
the two years I was at college, I, I finished that that whole thing in the evenings and I passed with like uh, four marks or whatever the highest grade was. But somehow at the end of it, I kind of sat down and thought, okay, how much Arabic do I know compared to when I started? And I, and unfortunately I realized I not, not a lot, like much less than I would have expected and would have liked. Like I couldn't string a sentence together. I could tell you a bunch of grammar rules kind of that I'd learned that, that had been the core of, so this is the problem because it was run by Leeds University. It was a very academic kind of uh, language course. It wasn't focused on actually teaching the language. It was focused on getting you the credits to pass the course. Right. Um, so come to the end of it, I, I felt like I honestly hadn't learned a huge amount. I'd learned maybe 10, 20 words from the vocab list that we'd had to memorize that I could tell you off the top of my head. Uh, I could string a couple of sentences together with them words. Um I could understand a couple of things that I'd maybe heard throughout the course. And that was it, which was quite poor uh, for 18 months of, of part-time study. Uh, take, for example, uh, compare that to jujitsu, for example. 18 months of jujitsu, I'd expect to be close to a blue belt and yeah, tapping out yeah. people who are at white belt. Yeah, it was yeah. 18 months of Arabic. And I felt like I was still barely better than a person who just started. Mm. Um, I use jujitsu as an example because it's on my train as well. Nice. Um, but... Um, so yeah, I felt I felt like someone's not right here. But during that time, I'd had to make a couple of decisions. So I'd come to the end of college. In the second year of college, you have to apply for university here in the UK. I, since I was a kid, if you'd asked me, what do you want to do when you're older? I didn't have an answer. I've never had a career path I wanted to go down. I've never had, like, <laughs> again, my mom will tell you, when I was young, you asked me, what do you want to be when you're older? One week I'd say, I want to be a bin man. Uh, next week I'd say, I want to be a frog. <laughs> next <laughs> Like the answers were just yeah. you know, pointless, random answers. Uh, but this stuck with me. So when I got to college and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go study medicine. I'm going to go study engineering. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't really want to study anything. I don't mm -hmm. have, I don't want to study something for the sake of it. Um, so I had to have a, like, I had to question myself. I said, okay, the only thing I know I want to do is, is study Arabic. And I also know I don't want to study in university having done an 18 months university course. I was like three years of that is going to be pointless for me. Um, so I started assessing my options uh, and there weren't many to be honest. Um, and I kind of boiled it down to there was Egypt, which was the one that everybody kept saying, go Egypt. There was a couple of universities in the Middle East, but they were not easy to get into. Uh, the, the Like Egypt, I could just go and turn up and figure it out. Uh, these universities I would have had to apply for and get accepted. And then there was a, so there's like Medina University and, and, and these, these are the universities. And then there was an institute in France that I'd heard of, but I didn't know a whole lot about. And when I'd searched on the internet, there was barely any information. So, oh, and then, okay. And then there was another one, Ibrahim College in London. Um, so what happened was initially I applied to Ibrahim College and they offered me a place. Um, so the plan was go to Ibrahim College. But for one reason or the other, it, first of all, it's very expensive in terms of accommodation to to live in central London and well, East London where they are. Um, so that was an issue. And then I had arranged accommodation. Me and this guy were going to share a flat and then he pulled out. So then it's just left with me. There was not a lot of time to arrange. So that fell through. So then I was left with the other options. I'd applied to these universities. None of them accepted me. So I was left between France, this place in France, which I didn't know a whole lot about, and Egypt. So Egypt was the next logical option. So I started making preparation to go to Egypt. Uh, and then subhanAllah, maybe 
couple of weeks before I put it into action in terms of booking tickets and stuff, um, there was the whole political issues uh, in in Egypt in that year. Uh, I think Morsi was outed and then there was mm. the whole the army came in. And so that was no longer an option either. Um, although I know some people who were still there and who went at the time, but sure. because it was a new thing and my parents were very like, no, no, we're not going to Egypt. So okay. I said, okay, not going to Egypt. So then I was kind of just left with, okay, now what? So I, I hadn't applied to university um, and I had no real plan ahead of me in terms of how I'm going to learn Arabic. Uh, I remember this was the summer holidays. It was Ramadan and I was doing itikaf in the masjid and I was kind of just sat there like, like when I get out of here, what am I going to do with my life? I had no idea. I'd kind of just settled upon, I'm not going to university. I have a year off. I'm just going to spend that year, learn Arabic by hook or crook. I'm going to watch YouTube videos. I'm going to, whatever it takes, I'm going to somehow learn Arabic. Um, this institute in France uh, is called the Ma'ad al-Europi lil-Uloom al-Islami or Insani, they have two names. Uh, the European Institute for Human Sciences. It used to be called Islamic Sciences. They changed it to Human Sciences for whatever reason. Um, so I'd been Googling them. I'd been trying to ring them. Nobody's answering. Um, Eid finishes. I go home. I give them another call. So this is now beginning of September. And um, somebody actually answers the phone. So I'm like, oh, wait, this is real. There's people here. And I'm trying to talk to the guy and he only speaks French or Arabic. So I'm thinking, right, I'll call you back. I run to my friend's house who's a, who's a Saudi. I go, I need you to translate with this guy for me with this guy. So he speaks to him and he tells and he basically tells me all the information that they have a one year they have a two year Arabic course. Um, this is how you apply. This is the, the term had already started at this point. So he's like, we have a couple of spaces left. But you need to be here by next week, um, otherwise they're going to fill up. So then I was like, okay. So I went home. I said to my mom, right, mom, I'm off France. <laughs> um, where are you going? I'm going to this random institute that I'm not even 100 percent sure exists. <laughs> <laughs> some guy answered the phone so i'm booking a ticket i'm off um and that's how i ended up in uh, in the mahad in france so you actually studied arabic in france yeah subhanallah yeah, for, for, for two years you did that two-year course there or one year i did the two-year course in one year didn't you have a, a a barrier with needing to learn french as well no so alhamdulillah the, one of the so if, if anybody wants to google the institute it's called Al-Mahad, it's actually called the european institute of human sciences eihs uh, they have two institutes, one in Paris and one in a village in the middle of the countryside called Chateau Chinon, um, which is where I studied. So this place used to be a activities um, activity center uh, in the 90s, and they purchased it <clears throat> and converted it into a, a learning institute. Um, so they have three departments. They have uh, Sharia, where they study Islamic studies. They have Quran, memorization department, um, and they have the Arabic studies department. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, the I I studied there again. I didn't wasn't hundred percent sure this place existed. I bumped into a student, a former student, shortly after this, who was one of the imams in the masjid, local masjid. He was he'd come from the U.S. and he'd studied there. So I spoke to him about it. He's like, yeah, it's real. He gave me the instructions on how to get there, which were very vague, by the way. It's like get to Paris, catch a train to this village in the middle of the French countryside, catch a bus that goes to the village where the institute is, and then somebody will pick you up from the bus station. Um, How old were you at this point? Uh, 18. 18, okay. So uh, <laughs> they were literally the instructions I had. I followed them, booked a plane ticket. Like I, 
to my parents, I was like, yeah, it's, it's all figured out. Don't worry. In my head, I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> um, I jumped on a jumped on a plane, jumped on a train, got to this village called Chateau Chino. And um, I'd rang them the day before telling them I'm going to be at the village at a certain time. What happened is along the way, I'd missed the train. So I was one day delayed. I had to get a hotel, stay there overnight, get the train the next day. So I get to the village and I'm like, right, now I need to get picked up. How do I get picked up? Um, I didn't, my SIM card wasn't working. I had no internet, had no phone. I'm got a suitcase and a, and like hand luggage on top of each other. And I'm just pushing it around, walking around this village, trying to figure out what to do. I thought maybe I'll see the institute. I'll just walk there. It's about, if you were to walk, it'd probably take you an hour and a half in a car. It's about a 10 minute drive, but it's, it's up and down hills and it's in the middle of the countryside. You can imagine. Um, so eventually I walk into some shop and I, uh, you speak English, you speak English. One guy goes little. I was like, oh, okay, good. I go, can I use your phone? I need to ring this institute. And he goes, yeah, no problem. So I rang the institute. Then I was like, oh, wait a minute. They don't speak English. So <laughs> I'm trying to tell the guy near the other end who I am and that I need picking up. And I'm just like using the five words of Arabic. And I'm like, and I said, and I feel bus stop. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, and and Boston? I was like, no, not Boston. Like, bus stop. I didn't know how to say bus stop. Uh, I didn't know how to say bus. So I'm just repeating myself again and again. And I thought, man, he's gonna hang up. And then what do I do? As well, I just re I remember at one point he just went, ah, okay. I was like, Alhamdulillah, he's understood. Um, somehow he understood who I think because I'd sent an application form in. He knew my name, but he's a busy guy. He had bunch of application forms he's not gonna recognize it just because i'm saying it again and again but yeah alhamdulillah then eventually he realized somebody came to pick me up and i actually ended up in the institute mashallah what a story going to france to study arabic then turning up in some little village somewhere imagine you turning up in a little french village people looking at you yeah, yeah. <laughs> you walking around with two suitcases <laughs> a, i got a lot a, of funny looks yeah you must have done <laughs> what an adventure mashallah that's so good. So like, what about the experience actually at the university? Like, I guess they have like university accommodation and stuff like that for you for, for the whole duration, right? Oh yeah, that, that was the original question, wasn't it? So in terms of the uh, the actual course itself, so the on-site, alhamdulillah, uh, in theory, everybody's meant to be speaking Arabic. So it's a very immersion-based learning environment. What actually happens is, so all, all the classes are taught in Arabic um, in all the departments. And the students are encouraged to use Arabic outside of class. So you you live on site, you have a dormitory there. Um, what actually happens is the French people will just talk in French. The English people will just talk in English. The French people will try to talk to the guys who know English because they want to improve their English. Um, so actually using Arabic is quite difficult. Um, but I remember I turned up class first day and the teacher just teaching in Arabic. I just sat staring at his face like, what is he saying? What What is happening? Um, and that was literally the course, like every day, the teacher's just teaching in Arabic and you're kind of forced to have to figure out what's going on. So wait, point. so is the whole university for that? Yeah. Oh, mashallah. So it's not like... So they have three departments. They have uh, Sharia, they have Quran and they have Arabic. Okay. But for all of the students, like it's all a, it's, it's regardless of what you're studying, it's a very Arabic immersive experience though. It's taught in Arabic. Everything's taught in Arabic. Yeah. Somewhere in the French countryside. <laughs> What about that village that you had to arrive in? Were they all white people or was it like a very a very Arab yeah, heavy all, village? 
Uh, so a lot of the a lot of the staff and the families of former students live there. But okay. they they still are going to be the minority. It's still a French village full of French people. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. That's amazing. So, okay. So you spent two years there. What, what do you kind of, obviously you talked about how you spent sort of 18 months, not that much less than the two years you spent in France, right? They spent sort of 18 months. With this I, spent, I spent a year in France, not, not two years. Oh, sorry. It was just a year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so, so you spent 18 months um, at, in, at Leeds university doing this module yeah. and after it, you felt like, you know, like a, a bit of Arabic really. How, how different was the experience after the one year in France? Yeah, France was a completely different, like, so like I said, we, we I turned up to lesson day one, teachers just talking in Arabic. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, from the UK, there were three of the students. Um, there were four or five from like, uh, from European countries that knew English. So there was a couple of brothers from Belgium. So they spoke French and English and Flanders or whatever the language is, or Dutch as well. Um, so they would, so the teacher would just, I mean, all the class was at the same level. Nobody knew Arabic. There were so in France, you have a lot of Moroccans and Algerians and Tunisians. So some of the students were from that background. So they had some level of Arabic, but their fusha was terrible. Um, you have people like me who didn't understand anything. So thankfully, one of the Belgian brothers was uh, was Moroccan. So he was understanding some of what the teacher's saying. Sometimes the, the teacher didn't know any English. He only knew French. <clears throat> so when like when nobody was understanding what he was saying and he was drawing and he was trying to act it out, nobody understood. He'd then just say something in French. Rare, quite rarely, to be honest, but when he would do that, then they would translate to English for us, thankfully. But honestly, the first month was a very, it's difficult to describe. It was kind of just, we were kind of thrown in the deep end and we had to swim and the teacher would talk very clearly, very loudly, repeat himself an awful lot, say the same thing every single day and you kind of just start to understand him after a while. It's um, it's an interesting, interesting to think about what's going on in your head at that point. Because at that point, like, like another person who came on the podcast not so long ago talked about Arabic students in a very immersive environment, often having like a silent phase, like often our children do before they start speaking. They're observing a lot all the time. They're listening to their parents speak all the time. They're they're hearing whatever their native language is all the time, right? And then all of a sudden, they just start speaking right because they've just absorbed so much but obviously children that that's forced on them they can't just opt out of it at some point and just start speaking <laughs> that is forced on them right but like someone in your position you could have left at any point right but like you were still willing to sit there and just not know anything for quite a while like that's yeah that's really interesting because the the arabic student should really um should should really be encouraged to have some sabr in in the beginning certainly in an, in, in an immersive situation like that that's um that's really interesting. So so you would say that obviously you'd say that your Arabic after that one year was way better after the after the than way better than the eighteen months after. Honestly, after after, after four weeks, it was probably already better than the whole. Subhanallah. Time. Bear in mind, this is full time study and that's part time study. But sure, sure. I did clock a significant number of hours and I put a lot of effort into that study and I still feel like I didn't learn anything. But here, because of the net, so there's there's a couple of things that that worked in my favor, I suppose. Just to that point you made about being quiet for a long time so like, our teacher didn't really allow that Stad Bakush would force us to okay. ask us questions and he'd like he'd do an activity where he'd say right I'll give you an example uh and he'd make everybody stand up and say Ana rajul, Ana rajul. and then he'd say he'd ask other questions and then you'd have to stand up and say and everybody literally everybody in the class one by one would do it you'd have to think a little bit which one am I um 
and then you'd have to have to actually stand up and say it. But he'd do a lot of that in the beginning. Mm. Um, like you, you've said it once, you've heard it 30 times. It kind of sinks in a little bit. Um, so yeah, he didn't really allow, but you are hearing a lot. Sure. He's forcing you to kind of interact and speak. Um, but in terms of study, so there's a couple of things that were good about the Institute. Um, number one is you kind of live on site. Um, they have a cafeteria where uh, meals are cooked. I mean, it wasn't exactly gourmet food, but it was, alhamdulillah, uh, calories in the body. And um, you have a lot of free time. So it's very much the student life. You're kind of living on campus. You go to classes from nine till one, like nine till dhuhr. Uh, then the rest of the afternoon is free. So you can sleep all day. You can, like, we'd play football on campus sometimes. Um, but you have a lot of time to study if you want to. Now, I told myself before I went, and I, this is kind of the part of the conversation I had with my mom. She said, okay, you, you want to learn Arabic? She she wasn't sure if I was going through a phase, if I was going crazy, what was going on. So to try and put some sense into me, she said, right, I'll let you go study Arabic. I'll let you go to France. But when you come back, you need to go to university. Um, so you've got one year. So in my head, I was like, okay, I've got one year. I need to do this in one year. I haven't got another year. So when I got there, I kind of had this mindset that I've got no time to waste. Alhamdulillah, this is places actually actually given me the opportunity to study a lot. So I I kind of went to an extreme where I was just every waking moment trying to either study or, for example, what me and three of my friends did was we signed a contract about a month in that we're going to stop talking in English or any other language. We're just going to talk in Arabic um, to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. And we literally signed a contract, and there was a there was a, a there was a penalty that if you say even one word of another language, you have to give one one pound in charity or one euro in charity, mm-hmm. um, and that can top up very fast. And we didn't have a lot of money at the time either. Um, Subhanallah. We had two witnesses, we had two witnesses <laughs> there. And we signed it. That's amazing. And that's a, that's something that any Arabic student could do. Yeah. Any any people could do. Any any you know two three four yeah. eight whatever group of people they can get witnesses and sign something you know there's actually yeah. there's, something, there's something that i do in my work it's really it feels kind of silly but it works well for me like when i'm kind of planning out what i'm going to do for the arabic in 60 steps program how we're going to package it price it whatever kind of boring stuff on the back end i deal with sometimes i put a little box in the bottom corner and i just put signed off by the ceo i don't run an organization i'm not the ceo or nothing right but i'm <laughs> did you know what i mean but like signing that box it weighs really heavy on me but my signature of that box is like, look, if the CEO signed it off, then it means this has <laughs> got to happen. Like, it means this thing has yeah. got to happen. Like, because then when I look at it retrospectively, I'm like, wow, the CEO signed this off. <laughs> but it, yeah, but it was just yeah. me with a pen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Obviously, that that's that way is that's, that's a far lighter thing than what you're talking about having witnesses and it being binding by the company of other people who share a goal and things like that. But yeah. just in terms of like a student study and committing themselves to it, that's that's an interesting kind of practical thing people could just implement in their lives. So, because quite often we like on the sixty steps program, we often have students who live really close to each other like especially in areas like in the u.s where there's lots of muslim or maybe even in the uk actually in parts of east london that are like majority bangladeshis and stuff we quite often have like a lot of a lot of our students in one area and they could quite easily do something like that (laughs) they could they could have something like that which is that's pretty i've never heard of arabic students doing that before (laughs) i kind of wish we'd thought about it when we were in palestine because i lived with three other guys but they all spoke english we're from the same university in the uk right like we should have done something like that 
That's really it was cool. A bit extreme, but subhanAllah, I, I can tell you now, from the day we signed that contract, like the, the progress just went like this. Because mm-hmm. like one of my friends even told me, I, I was talking in my sleep and I was talking in Arabic <laughs> in my sleep, which is, I didn't know I talked uh-huh. in my sleep, first of all, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so, I, and I, I actually got to the point where I was just thinking in Arabic. Like I, I came back to the UK to visit and I remember bumping into a high school friend and I was genuinely struggling to talk to him in English because I'd start a sentence in English and without realizing, just start talking in Arabic and he'd be looking at me like, what are you saying? And of course, I didn't realize I did that. (laughs) SubhanAllah. So when you come back, did did your mum win you over and force you off to university or or did you win in that battle? Uh, So what happened is, because obviously with university, you need to apply ahead of time. So while I was in France, I actually applied for university here. Okay. I had the exact same dilemma I had a year earlier. Only the difference is I didn't say, oh, I want to learn Arabic. So it was a matter of, okay, I need to apply for something. And it was honestly, I made a list of like, what could I like tolerate? And it was between like um, astrophysics, um, uh, physiotherapy and psychology, I think. Okay. And then it was like a, a coin toss and it dip do and i picked astrophysics um the hardest <laughs> okay go on i wrote a personal statement like yeah. i remember that people in in college in universities well in college ahead of university probably spend six months writing a personal statement i wrote mine like laying in bed on my phone uh sent it off um got offered a place <laughs> at Leeds university for astrophysics um, so when I came back, I think I did about three months of astrophysics. And then I said, what on earth am I doing here? Uh, I don't want to be a physicist. I, they keep telling me that, oh, this opens doors. I don't open doors. Uh, like, I want to do one thing, but I don't know what that thing is yet. So I dropped out. I said, this is a waste of time. <laughs> okay. By the way, for people internationally who don't know, Leeds is a really good university in the UK. <laughs> like, yeah. Leeds, is, Leeds isn't a university you should when you apply for it you shouldn't write your personal statement in bed it's it's more the sort yeah it's more the sort of university that you uh that you put a lot of effort into getting into i i was actually offered a place at leeds because they do ba arabic they offer ba yeah, arabic yeah. as well yeah yeah i i applied to leeds exeter soas obviously where i went to um and then like i applied for two courses that were that that didn't have as high uh, entry requirements to spanish I think Chester was one of them. Isn't that near you? Isn't that in the north, Chester? It was it was completely random. Like it was like what university would let me in with three C's or something. And um yeah. I, I I applied to a couple of those as well. But Alhamdulillah, in the end I went to SOAS, by the way. Yeah, I was accepted at Exeter. But um I, I'm from Cornwall. Exeter might have made sense in some ways to be close to family, but like for me it, it wasn't just about learning Arabic, it was also about being somewhere where there'd actually be Muslims and stuff, where there'd be a big Muslim community in London was London had to be that for me, really, at that point. Because like when you embrace Islam in Cornwall, like, I didn't have any Muslim friends my age. Like at the Masjid, all of the all of the Muslims are all like established adults who have restaurants and stuff in Cornwall, or like, they're professors yeah. at the university and stuff like that. So I needed to go to a place that would that would do that for me. So you um so okay, so you gave it a chance, astrophysics at Leeds, and then uh, so what is it like by the new year? You you were you were you were back. Yeah, home? Well, I think I dropped out before Christmas or like no, sure okay. Okay, fair enough. So, so what does it look like in the timeline from there, where you you give astrophysics a go, but but don't but don't do all of it because you've got other things on your mind. From there up until um, Quran stories with Hudhud, what's that? What's the time period like there? Yeah, there's a couple of years of 
soul searching and trying a bunch of different things out and trying to figure things out and um yeah nothing no very zigzaggy kind of thing okay um considering like literally going from considering maybe i re-enroll maybe i go back to france maybe i do this i got offered a place in in a in a university in mecca uh, which i took too long to accept and the offer expired oh that's um, a shame well allah knows best allah knows best yeah no it's i don't regret any of it uh, mm. looking back but at the time i was like man what, why did i waste so much time because i had a, i had a slight dilemma that because i know the the year that i was away so i'm uh, i've got two sisters and then uh, i'm the only boy in the family and me and my mom, alhamdulillah, were very close. So I know the year that I was away, she it was it was a new experience for her. I've never been out of the house for that long, and um, I know it was it was difficult on her. So I I kind of didn't really want to go away for. I knew if I was going to go away again to study, it would be for three four years. Um, it wouldn't just be another year. So I was kind of in a dilemma that do I want to do that? Is is there some happy medium where I can kind of stay closer to home and not have to go for four years to another country and I, I don't see her except like twice a year. Um, that was kind of the reason that I took so long to decide. Sure. Actually, I didn't decide. They just took the offer away. So okay, fair enough. Made on my behalf. Fair enough. Um, there's there's two more things I'd like to ask ask from you, inshallah. So so one of them you you've alluded to it a couple of times actually. Number one, um, in Mecca, obviously when you kind of first started to taste what what the, what what hearing the Quran is like with some understanding, and then also hearing people speak Arabic there, and then you also alluded to this kind of dialect fusha dichotomy in um, in france as well with obviously there being moroccans and algerians tunisians and stuff there like have you kind of delved much into having to having to navigate that in your arabic language learning journey because this is a recurring thing for all arabic students how do they navigate this kind of fusha dialect dichotomy yeah so in my circumstances so in terms of what happened from an arabic standpoint after after this um when i came back from france very short. So I have a local masjid here, Leeds Grand Mosque. Um, the Imam Jalal Khair, he's, uh, he's Libyan. His English is perfectly fine, but uh, he prefers to do the khutbah in Arabic and then somebody will translate it into English. So we had a brother who was doing the translation and he then, I think, moved country. So he comes to me one week and he's like, I said, can you do the translation this week? This week. Um, I was like, yeah, maybe. So he sent me a copy of the translation and then I... I uh, I did it. I read it out that week. I'd done some public speaking before. I delivered some khutbahs in like college, so I wasn't too shy in terms of public speaking. So I did it. The translation wasn't great, so I said to the sheikh, "I go look. Why don't you just? I go. Is somebody else going to do it next week?" He goes, "Not yet. You're going to do it next week." I said, "Okay. Just send me the Arabic script, and I'll uh, I'll translate it myself, and then I'll read it out, and it'll be I'll be more familiar with it. I'll, it'll be easier for me." This was. Uh, this was like seven years ago. I'm still waiting for the, I'm still the temporary translator. I'm waiting for the. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that, that was a big help in terms of on a Friday, every week I'll translate the khutbah and I'll read it out. Mm-hmm. Um, also on a Monday, we have uh, Sheikh Abdullah Al-Judeh, who's, uh, he's a very prominent scholar and he does a tafsir class on a Monday in our masjid as well. And I noticed that one week there was a brother who kept coming, who was learning Arabic, but I knew his Arabic was very poor. And he would, he would be there every week. And I'd, one week I just said to him, do you understand any any of what he's saying? He goes, not really, none. I go, do you want me to translate to you or to try and translate? And then I started doing like an instant translation in his ear. And that became a thing. So then every Monday for like the past seven years, I was translating that the series circle on a Monday. And then that led on to a lot. So Sheikh would run Dorat. He would run like uh, courses, uh, weekend courses 
like eight hours on a Saturday, eight hours on a Sunday, and I'd end up translating the whole thing, uh, live translation in English. Um, so that was in terms of continuing the Arabic studies. I know that wasn't your question. In terms of uh, dialects, uh, the reason I mentioned all this was because of the masjid. So our masjid is a kind of predominantly Arab masjid. Okay. Um, so we have a lot of, we have Libyans, we have Egyptians, we have Moroccans, we have Algerians and so on. So alhamdulillah, I have been quite exposed to different dialects um, simply just from conversing with people in the masjid. My co-founder is also Libyan, so I hear a lot of Libyan dialect. So I never really made a, never, never made a kind of uh, intentional effort to learn any dialect. I kind of just was forced to pick it up. So I'd hear them say something and I'd, I'd have to reverse engineer, okay, how, where did that, because a lot of the stuff has roots in, in Fusha. Um, if you can, some stuff you have to trace quite far back, but some of it's quite kind of obvious once you realize. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of kind of trying to reverse engineer what they just said and eventually you kind of just pick it up. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know. I, I hear lots of different types of experiences with that. Like um, there's some people I hear about who go to Egypt and they're learning Fusha and they use their Fusha and like get laughed at and things like that. I've never had that. I've personally never had that experience because like, I, whenever I, whenever I like when I was in Palestine and when, when, I, when I was in Egypt as well, like I, I don't, I don't act like I am them. They know I'm a foreigner. I'm not fooling anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I act like I am an English person who's gone to their country to learn their language, like completely transparently like that. And I, you know, that, that that's kind of my approach to it. To, to be honest, like in terms of learning, it's like grammar and going into detail in dialects. I don't have a huge interest in it, to, to be honest. Um, and I'm quite, and I'm very transparent about that with my students as well. But like, I, I don't know, I find dialects like, they're not really something to be studied. They're more something to be gotten used to, if, if you know what I mean. That's that's only been my experience anyway. Like I, I haven't really that's found- it, I think it comes back to as well, your purpose. Like if, if you're going to learn Moroccan Arabic, it's only because- you're going to live in Morocco or you have Moroccan people you're going to speak to just simply knowing it for the sake of it really doesn't serve any purpose mm. sure yeah exactly yeah um, okay that's good thing so... about dialects as well I just add sorry to cut you go ahead go ahead um, is that I do feel like there's a lot of what's said about it which isn't necessarily true like you were saying in terms of in terms of Fusha the, the story about Egypt is understandable because in Egypt they have Amiya which is you can consider it a different language so if you come and start speaking in Fusha somebody doesn't know Fusha, apart from this is the language of the Quran, this is the language of Hadith, then you're going to struggle. But generally what you find is the majority of anybody older than 30, or even mid-20s to be honest, has going to have studied some level of Fusha if in the Arab world, in their schooling and on TV and cartoons and stuff like that. So they will understand a good amount of Fusha, if not completely. The ability to speak Obviously, they're used to speaking in... It's like now, if I'm speaking in English, if I'm speaking in slang all day long, it's very difficult to switch to speaking formally. Um, similar to them, it's like they speak in slang all day and then they have to switch to formal. So it's, it's going to be a mixture of like a watered-down fusha with some some slang in there, some amiya in there. But generally, I find that pretty much anybody you meet in the Arab world, um, unless they like completely have no understanding of fusha, you're able to communicate with some mm -hmm. kind of hybrid middle ground sure sure of... yeah i find like if you learn fusha I, i've personally found that it's much easier to go in the other direction like if you've got used to 
like your case endings and stuff being really tight and using Fusha and stuff. And then to have to not use a lot of that and make your, uh, I find it's a, <laughs> it's a lot easier. I find that transition much easier. Like, to be honest, like I, I did loads of like tutoring and stuff before I created an online course. Like I mean, hundreds of hours of like being with lots of lots of students in person. And some of my most challenging students to get through like the Arabic GCSE and stuff were people who spoke Aramia at home, but knew no Fusha. They were some of my most challenging students because they they use this thing at home all day and it works perfectly well and they call it Arabi <laughs> at home, right? So, you know, explaining to them why they have to say Uridu and Usafira in the GCSE exam, they think that's a big muscular, <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. that's it's, it's a lot harder to get get that into the brain of someone who who is so entrenched in Aramiya, you know, than it is someone who's a completely blank well, slate. It has certain rules and certain structures that are consistent, that apply to Aramiya, but just don't apply to Fusha. Um, and then for them to unlearn that and to kind of cancel that is very difficult. Mm, true. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's certainly what I've found. Like I, like in an example that I saw recently somewhere on social media was um, someone who's in Egypt learning Arabic there, like learning Fusha in, in an institute there and like was in Pizza Hut or something and got laughed at by the people at the checkout, right? So I like, like what you're saying. If it's young people like that, like, yeah. and also another thing, like, I don't know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a bit harsh with this, but this is my view, right? Anybody who's going to laugh at the language that Allah sent the Quran down in, in the way that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam spoke, I don't care about their opinion very much. Yeah, I agree. Like, like if they're going to laugh at it, that doesn't mean I'll be horrible to them. It doesn't mean I'm going to get aggressive with them. It just means like if it's if it's the person at Pizza Hut or whatever, and they're laughing at me because um, I don't know whatever I choose to I choose to use something a bit more fasih than what they're used to. I'm not going to take their opinion to. I'm not going to let. I'm not going to get upset by their opinion and start and start, you know, and then start not adhering to the, the rules that Allah has legislated for the Arabic language in the Quran. Okay. That person's ignorant and he doesn't even realize he's the ignorant one. Okay, right, right. He's laughing at you. <laughs> Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay, and then there's one last thing. I ask this of all of my guests, inshallah. I would really like just any open advice that you have for the Arabic students out there. We don't know who out there is listening to this who really needs some type of advice. So whatever you've found to be like just a really good advice for Arabic students in general, I want to hear it. I'll be honest that what I found is when it comes to learning Arabic, 90% of it comes down to less to do with all the this curriculum, that curriculum, this this technique, that technique, all that kind of stuff. A lot of it just comes down to the the simple stuff of motivation, self discipline, consistency. It's like it's like the gym. If take any person, and if he goes to the gym every day and he lifts weights and he gradually increases the 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 weight of what he's lifting, there's no other result he's gonna get other than he's gonna grow in sizes, he's gonna get fitter, he's gonna get stronger. When it comes to learning Arabic, I don't get how difficult you think it is and how complicated and all the all these preconceived notions you have in your mind and all these limiting beliefs. Are you telling me that if you studied Arabic every single day for X amount of time, that you wouldn't learn, or you wouldn't improve your Arabic? And, you know, you can't argue with that. Mm. So you need to get rid of these kind of artificial deadlines you've put in your head. And I talk a lot about to people, oh, I learned Arabic in nine months and in, in when I was in uh, France, because it was a nine month uh, term. Um, I was there for a year, but it was only nine months in terms of actual studying. Um, but that doesn't mean you need to do it in the same amount of time. That doesn't mean your circumstances are the same. N none of that applies. 
um, you might tell yourself, oh, I want to, like, take for example money. Somebody says, oh, I want to become a millionaire by next year, right? Okay, you can want that all day long. But if that's going to stop you from actually doing what you need to do to actually have the possibility of achieving that, compared to somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to try for 20 years and maybe I'll achieve it in, at the end of them 20 years. Mm. Or if, for example, most people, if you offer them, I can guarantee you become a millionaire in 20 years or give you a chance of becoming it in a year, right? Most people say, oh, I'll just try the year even though I can guarantee you it in 20 years. Mm. And they just don't have the patience. They just don't have the, the self-discipline, the consistency. And I always reflect upon this, that there's multiple ayat in the Quran that for Muslims mean that we, we have to have a higher standard. Like, for example, uh, there's the ayat, it's, it's talking about in the context of war, that... Uh, that if you're in pain and you're hurting the Muslims, then know that they're also hurting the people you're fighting against, the disbelievers. Hmm. Just as you're hurting, you're all human beings. You look at Elon Musk, the guy's working all day long. He gets tired just as you, you get tired. Hmm. What's the difference between you and him? He's actually putting in the hours. Hmm. But the next part of the ayah is the part I always reflect upon. Uh, and you're expecting from Allah something they're not expecting. Mm. So you're expecting in, in, in a war to not give up. doesn't matter if you're hurting as much as they're hurting or you're hurting more than them. You've got a higher purpose. You've got a higher driver behind what you're doing. The same applies to our entire lives. And you can also translate that to Arabic and it applies to our Arabic studies. This guy goes and learns Chinese so he can get a job and earn more money. This girl over here goes and learns French so she can marry a French guy. This person goes and learns Arabic, right? So he can go marry an Arab girl and he's a non-Muslim. And here you are with the Quran before you that you believe in is the word of your Lord and your creator. And it's been sent to you. And you're telling me you don't have enough motivation and drive and the ability to go and learn Arabic to understand what he says. And these guys do. Mm. Like, like it's, it's inconceivable. It's, it's some of that I, I struggle to to understand subhanallah so, no absolutely ultimately yeah. for me it's that kind of introspection and making sure that you actually have that in you mm. once it's there the rest of it, inshallah becomes easy mm. i would um it's interesting that you mentioned um discipline like it's it's absolutely something that all of the children of adam should um should build in themselves right something that it's, it's a superpower if, if combined with consistency you know something that we we, we do regularly and keep up but it's um so like in like you mentioned inconsistent consistency is really interesting because in my life I think of like sorry sorry discipline I think of like discipline but I almost think of it in some senses as like a last resort like what's better than discipline in my mind is if you can make one decision where you no longer need discipline so for example like when I was living in the UK I really needed to have discipline with learning Somali like I really needed to find the time in my day to like sit with books or practice with my, my mother-in-law or whatever and it really like took up headspace for me because it was like oh I can't do this thing or like I need to schedule it in and I need to think about how it works out or you can make a decision to move to Somalia that's one decision where you don't need discipline anymore because it's just everywhere here do you know what I mean I, in some sense like I'm not saying it didn't require discipline when you were in France right but like like it would have been very difficult to rely on discipline to to recreate your Arabic learning experience, but not in that environment, if you see what I mean. Like if for the, the amount of discipline you would have needed and the amount of headspace it would have taken up for you if you wanted to manufacture that 
not in that environment. So like, so to, to, to build on that, like discipline is absolutely something we should, we should all have and all implement. Like, and for the vast majority of our audience, they're people not living in Arabic speaking countries. The vast majority of the Arabic and 60 steps audience, they're people in the USA, UK, Canada, right? So for them, it absolutely is the case. But if they have an opportunity to, to not have to have discipline, to make one decision, to change something in their environment, might it be whatever it is. I'm not saying you should take this decision flippantly, but maybe marry that Arab. <laughs> like not it shouldn't be that flippant like just because you want to learn arabic right but that's the kind of thing i mean like you could tell yourself well i need to i need to practice my my every day <laughs> or i just yeah. marry this egyptian person or you could say like okay i need to i need to schedule this and have real discipline for learning the quran or whatever or i could just hire that teacher who's going to be strict with me and let them have the discipline do you know what i mean i think the, 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 the point about discipline just uh go ahead yeah yeah go ahead go ahead um it's so my point wasn't discipline isn't the core thing it boils down to. It's 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 what discipline is kind of uh, the the follow on. For me, it comes down to that internal uh, burning desire you can call it, mm. right? Tarjuna min Allahi mala yarjun. You should, if you know in deep inside that I want this thing and I've got a purpose behind it, I've got that burning desire, then all the discipline, the decisions, all of that follows. Because if you don't have that, you'll find any excuse not to do it. Like when I was in France, I, I know I speak I speak very highly of the institute. I speak very highly of France and my experience there. But I can tell you now that's not the average experience. Okay. There are students there who studied for three years and the Arabic is just as bad as mine was before I got there. There were students who had as much time as I had and they didn't put even a tenth of the time into studying. They were just on their laptops watching computer watching movies all day long. So all of it comes to if you have that burning desire deep inside knowing that like you have to actually be honest with yourself do i actually want to learn arabic now the answer should be yes like for everybody i don't think that's there's any scenario where somebody can say you know what i don't need arabic it just you haven't been given the option to be honest and we sent this as an arabic quran not just as a quran as an arabic quran so we've kind of been told that we need to learn arabic but we need to make an effort in order to access the quran into again in today's world, if we were talking about this 20 years ago, resources not available, you have a lot more excuses. But in a world today where somebody can go and learn Chinese and somebody can go and learn French and uh, people who think Arabic is difficult, I'm sure they'd agree that Mandarin probably seems even more difficult. But people have learned all these languages. And here are me and you struggling to build up the consistency and the desire and the motivation and to learn Arabic. Mm. Like, this is what this is what I think we need to work on. If you can, once that light's kindled on the inside, the fire's kindled on the inside, then then everything else inshallah falls into place. Absolutely, yeah. Regardless of where you are, actually, like I'm saying, I'm I'm talking about making big decisions. If discipline is really a problem for you, but it wouldn't be a problem in the first place if it was something you truly understood the magnitude of. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really good place to finish. So uh, on behalf of the Arabic in 60 Steps community, I want to say thank you so much for sparing your time for us. I know this has been kind of out there for a long time. I've had your number in my in my, in my phone for quite a long time and I've been trying to make it happen and COVID happened. I kind of wanted us to do it in person when I was in the UK and it didn't work out. But thank you so much for having patience with me. And uh, it was so good to finally get you on the podcast. So thank you so much. And uh, I'll, I'll bid you farewell with uh, in, in the best of ways with Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. Alaikum Salaam Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh.